This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hey, Andrew. Hi, Craig. They say that book publishing is a glamorous world filled with money, privilege, and three martini lunches. Or is it? If you're like us and want to dive into the messy power struggles, scams, and unfathomably bad behavior within the book world, I recommend checking out Missing Pages. It's an all-new investigative podcast from the Podglomerate. It's hosted by literary critic and publisher, publishing insider Beth Ann Patrick, who spills the tea on some of the world's most famous and infamous book figures. Andrew, on this week's season finale, Ooh. adventurer, philanthropist, best-selling author, Greg Mortensen, author of Three Cups of Tea, was a hero until he fell from grace. But was the author a scammer or just in over his head? Beth Ann delves into a story of good intentions and very bad bookkeeping. Missing Pages is worth the hype. I mean, where else can you hear your favorite authors, publishing insiders, and a circus of NYC media elites telling the real story, unfit for print and perfect for podcasting? So go ahead. Find Missing Pages wherever you find podcasts. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Bum, and bum, it's bum. spooky. It's our eighth or ninth Spooktober. We've, <laughs> Spectacular. The passage of time is terrifying. Mm-hmm. We've lost count. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> We're here with some scary books or Every- books. About week. scary things. Yes. Every week, one of us reads a book we've never read before and tells the other person about it. And then, zooming out a little bit more than that, every year during the month of American October, yeah. we, we <laughs> read books that are a little spooky. Yeah. And we, we, call we talk spooktober. to each other about those. We call it Spooktober because it's spooky and because October is copyrighted by the calendar people. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Big hallmark. We're not allowed to... Mm-hmm. Call it. It's just weird. That one month is the mm-hmm. only month that we we have to call it something else, mm-hmm. which serves our purposes just fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, at the end of this episode, we'll tell you the rest of the Spooktober schedule if you haven't heard it already. So be sure to tune in for that. Andrew, you read a book that neither of us have read before. It's true. I did for this week's episode. What'd you read? I read Carmilla by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. Oh, Joseph Thomas Sheridan Le Fanu. Yeah. The Irish writer born in Dublin in 1814? Yeah. That's the guy. Yeah, that's the, the one in the same. Huh. The very same. <laughs> I've never read this book. I have ever heard the name Carmilla in vampire fiction before. Yeah, I guess I have two. Probably in like some Castlevania like monster, yes. uh-huh. <laughs> monster thing. Um, but I did not. I've never read this. I've never seen or read an adaptation of it that I was aware of. Um, Apparently, Carmilla the series is a thing. I can I know because it's blur the, the co-creator blurb. and writer of it is blurbed on the back of this uh, Carmen Maria Machado edited edition of Carmilla that I have. Oh sure, yes. yes. Um, well, do you want to talk about Lefanu first, or do you want to talk about your? what editions you read and thoughts on that first. Let's talk about Le Fanu first Great. and then we can get into edition, additional editions. Hey, yes. Hey. Uh, so Le Fanu, as I said, was born in 1814, died in 1873. Um, he grew up, he had many relatives who were playwrights and novelists and writers. Uh, his father was a clergyman um, and Le Fanu began writing poetry in his teens um, he studied law at Trinity College, though he never practiced and refused the call to the bar, basically, and said, I'm going to be a journalist instead. But then there was, because life is an adventure or like an adventure novel, yeah. he does come back to become a lawyer later, right? With all the stuff that he's learned from. I don't know that that call. happens. I think he might okay. just reject the call. And then um, that guy the hero who wrote A Hero of a Thousand Faces was like, Hey, what about the way that I think stories go? And Le yeah. was like, get out of here. Yeah, for a guy who wrote so many books, I guess he just wasn't concerned about his life having a narrative arc. Nope. <laughs> it's all in the it's all in the pages. Mm-hmm. Um 
within you know a short time after he was a journalist, he was also writing short stories, a lot of ghost stories. His first published one was The Ghost and the Bone Setter. Uh, <laughs> is that kind of Irish setter that really is in the bones? <laughs> That's a spooky dog. Mm-hmm. If you saw an Irish setter that was just bones? Yeah, just bone, only bones. Oh, no. Um, he married Susanna Bennett in 1844. Um, she later passed away in 1858. She struggled with mental health issues. Um, I noted here, you know, we go to a couple different sources. I like a Britannica as a good biographical source. You know, you got to skim through Wikipedia to find some other sources. Someone who really likes the name Isaac Butt uh, decided <laughs> to just make sure that we knew... That this future member of parliament, Isaac Butt, was a witness at their marriage, uh-huh. which I, I think also became, like, Isaac Butt has some relevance during the potato famine and stuff. Of course he does. But I really, I think that whoever was editing this article on Wikipedia really disliked that there's a guy named Isaac Butt. You think they're being a little cheeky? They're taking a crack at it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm, I'm glad you got to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really wiped the floor with me. You're a real asset to our podcast. Oh, dang. Great. <laughs> um, so he began uh, writing again in earnest in the 60s um, after his mother had also passed away. And he kind of pivots a little bit to uh, catering towards English audiences with some of his mysteries and, and sensibility. Mm-hmm. He has some success with a book called Uncle Silas. Uh, but his, and then he, you know, he passed away shortly after this was published right because this was published in 1872 Mm -hmm. um his overall body of work you know in the 30s and early 40s have been collected as something called the purcell papers that's a bunch of irish gothic horror uh in the 1840s he's writing historical fictions set in ireland uh then in the 60s and 70s he's writing what are called sensation novels um modeled after wilkie collins they're like you know, vaguely melodramatic. They're characters exploring various social anxieties of the Victorian era. Hmm. You know, have like penny dreadfuls not been invented yet? Like, how how close are we to that kind of genre? Like, very looked down upon genre fiction. Do you know off the top I of your head? No, off the top of my head. Because mm-hmm. and Google makes it impossible because of the show Penny Dreadful. Oh, jeez, that right. I can't Good Google job, it guys. in real time. Mm-hmm. But ooh, I found it. Um, yeah, they're happening kind of contemporaneously with okay. with this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the Victorian equivalent of video games. One person called them. Um, <laughs> his books include House oh, so by their the Art. <laughs> well, their high art. Yeah, as uh, Roger Ebert says, um, they are. His books, House by the Churchyard, Uncle Silas, uh, a collection called In a Glass Darkly, which is where Carmilla is collected. Um, And In a Glass Darkly, I believe all of the stories are, or many of the stories are framed as papers from the books of occult detective Dr. Hesselius. And then he has a bunch of other short story collections. So a very prolific writer. Um, Can you tell me whether Carmilla was actually published in installments in something called The Dark Blue in the, it was. In the early 1870s? Okay, because I don't... We're going to talk about Carmen Maria Machado and the way she's decided to play her her editorial job on this uh-huh. edition that I also read. But it's hard for me to trust anything that she's telling me because she's also telling me a lot of a lot of uh, whoppers. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Carmilla was published serially uh, in seventy two and seventy three in the Dark Blue, a London literary magazine that did not last for very long, but gave us this work of fiction. Um, this okay. Why are we reading this book? It it is vampires, the, baby. Well, it's vampires, and it's like twenty five years before Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um. And a lot of the there's an interesting article I read on electric literature by Annabelle Williams that says there's kind of a through line from Carmilla to the recent you know sexy supernatural stuff your mm-hmm. Twilights your Vampire Diaries that is that is a little bit more similar than you just look at Dracula who's like a domineering dude. Who's going to buy a, a bunch of real estate in London? Yeah, he's just a weird man who lets you live in his house. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so a lot of the like forbidden desire stuff around vampirism um, seems to be more akin to what's going on in Carmilla. 
There are some sources that scholars have cited, and this might be an interesting bridge to the Machado stuff. Um, there's a this a lot of our vampire stuff goes back to this work by a guy named Calme, mm-hmm. uh, who wrote Traite sur sur les apparitions des spirites et sur les vampires ou les revenants de Hongri et de Morave, etc. <laughs> From 1751. Um, And I think a portion, like an excerpt from that, maybe made it into part of Carmilla, where there's a priest in a town that was tormented by a vampire Mm -hmm. and an unnamed traveler comes through and and solves solves it. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also some scholarship pointing to an unfinished poem by Samuel Taylor Coleridge called Christabel that is about. Um, this woman Christabel's encounter with an odd, maybe supernatural woman named Geraldine, and they have some a relationship that has some romantic undertones that were not explicit, uh, perhaps for reasons. Um, and some people have pointed at, point, said that Carmilla is either like an homage to that or a riff on that or something. Uh, Carmilla has been adapted a bunch. Vampire in 1932, Dracula's daughter 36. Uh, Dracula does bringing it back to yeah. Dracula. Uh, Blood and Roses. Really more like Dracula's mother, I guess. Yeah, well. Should be. Um, there was a film in 2019 called Carmilla, and as you said, Carmilla the series, Andrew. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into the additions that you, what did you read and what did you stumble upon? Well, so I, I went to amazon which i try very hard not to shop at except for ebooks because for the work that we do that is very highlight and comment intensive and we like sync between a lot of devices it's like we've tried everything it's literally the only thing that works so i went to amazon to buy the kindle copy as i do yeah and it was like not available for a couple of days for some reason <laughs> okay and i just don't i like it, it was available for release like literally the next day and i was like well that's great and all but i just want to start reading this book now and so there is, there was an edition, uh, paper edition, as edited by Carmen Maria Machado, who uh, is the author behind uh, Her Body and Other Parties, which I think we read for last did we read year it for I a think. Spooktober last year. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know she's got uh, established spooky bona fides. This edition came out in like 2019, <laughs> um, and according to um, just like some reviews and blurbs and stuff that I that I read, she was trying to like bring the the gay undertones, overtones, just yep. regular tones. Really to play the, those tones nice and loud. Yeah, to the yeah. to the forefront a little bit. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, but also because we like to talk about like the differences between editions sometimes. Yeah. When we read books like this, and because this isn't very long, I hunted down just like a vanilla version of it. It's the oh, ebook from Vanilla Carmilla. Yes, Vanilla yeah. Carmilla. From uh, I just got the ebook version from Project Gutenberg and downloaded yeah. it and, and read that while I was waiting for my paper Carmilla to get here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so yeah, I, I I I will say up front, like Machado puts in some footnotes. Some of them played straight, and some of them not. But I, I will say, having uh, read both of them, like, right, like, n- next to each other, I think that for most people, you will come away with the impression that you have read the same book, regardless yeah. of if you read her version or not. Like, one of the uh, one of the specific changes that she says she makes here in this, like, author's note that she writes is... Um, there are also places where your faithful editor has done her best to interrupt Lafonu's passionate and unrequited love affair with unnecessary commas. So just like cleaning up the text a little bit so it flows better for a okay. for a modern reader, but really not like changing or, or adapting any any big bits of it in a like story changing kind of way. I don't think. Sure. And but you but then you flagged something for me. <laughs> That you wanted to make sure we looked into so, or discuss. Yeah, we, so just tell me about this. When we're doing when we're doing the show, I, yeah, I didn't know where you wanted me to leave off yep, and where nope. you wanted to pick up. But when we're doing the show, usually like day of recording, uh, we'll flag a couple of things we want the other person to research. And for me, this was this thing that Machado mentions in this intro where she says that in like the 1970s, some scholar from the University of Iowa found a bunch of papers like in Lefanu's office or something that implies that the the story Carmilla is not as fictional as it is implied to be. And that actually there are a bunch of letters between a couple of people and it was about like an actual gay relationship in like the 19th century. And 
and Lafanu took this and and made it into a thing where uh, the the gay vampire is a cold blooded killer who will murder you. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know it's a, it's pretty subtle that uh, implication, <laughs> but. It turns out that there's like this long-standing trope where gay people are evil uh, in in fiction. Yeah, and I don't know if you'd noticed this before, but like, yeah. apparently it's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm unfortunately, <laughs> because much like much like unlike Carmen Maria Machado, I would like you, the audience, to know that I'm just goofing around. <laughs> oh sure. So you said, Craig, can you look this up to make sure that we. Did you find anything about this already? Can you just like look into it? And I'm like, all right, yeah. that's totally fine. I'll look yeah, because she it. talks about it a lot. And for seven, like just, seven pages of intro, she's talking about. Yeah. This. So you sent me the intro. I started looking things up, and every Google search that I do mm-hmm. using any of the names, like she cites a few texts, um, like this one professor who had done a bunch of research, and I, there's nothing on her on the internet. The only result I get is about Machado and Carmilla. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. So then I find this interview called uh, From Electric Literature from 2019, but written by Theodore McCombs, called A Perfectly Normal Interview with Carmen Maria Machado Where Everything is Fine. <laughs> and it starts normally. It starts with like, okay, she's doing this new edition of Carmilla and she's on, she is making this claim about this real life seduction trial of a woman named Marcia Moren who was killed for quote morbid harlotry and this research comes from this professor light from 1973 and then you start reading the interview and it starts off pretty normal like there are uh, you know questions about like this narrative of women and narratives of vampires and narratives of queer people um, and who is being made to be villains and similarities to Jane Eyre. And I'm, you know, and there's a lot of links in this article and some of them go to real places. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't. Some of them so far, just reading an article, but wait, it's getting weird, huh? It's getting weird. Like links to the name of this professor 404 on UPenn's page mm-hmm. links to uh the name of Marcia Moren linked to a page that says anagram a bunch mm-hmm. links to like one of them's just a weird painting of eyes one of them's a poet about Sappho like it's getting weird in there Andrew have you does the the name Marcia Moren mm-hmm it's an anagram. And for what? For Carmen Maria. Oh, <laughs> nice. See? Yeah. So she, and then the interview at the end of it just does just get up, get straight up weird. Like it's very confrontational. And then they start like talking in language that very much seems like they're just in the book, Carmilla. Mm-hmm. Um, so this all seems like a cool thing that Machado decided to do. Uh-huh to foreground the what was originally queer subtext and also reinforce the kind of not epistolary because it's not letters but the you know it's a victorian book so you have to put a thing at the front that says i found these papers somewhere (laughs) it's based on a real thing Mm -hmm. in somebody's library uh and so she's using the scholarship of it or the you know the inclination to read up on a work that you might be reading that's 150 years old mm-hmm. uh, to make some to make some stuff up to highlight a true thing, let's say. Mm-hmm. Did the how does this re like calibrate your understanding of the footnotes? I'm just uh, some of the footnotes are played pretty straight. It's like hey, this place that is mentioned in the book is this place now in, in modern day times. Great. Fine. And then like, sometimes she is like, Hey, I've created an imagined, an imagined backstory for like this minor character who shows up for like two minutes and then goes yeah. and gets like married to somebody else. And it's like, as, as I got toward the end of the book and then as you were doing your own, you know, spelunking into what this, this editor's note 
is uh-huh. we we became it became clear that we were being goofed on and like yeah. fine that's fine i do there are a lot of <laughs> comments in the amazon reviews of the book <laughs> that are taking all the stuff that she is saying at face value, both Mm. like both the stuff about like reclaiming the, the gay narrative of, of Carmilla as like this real world person who is discriminated against Um, some people being like, who is a self-important editor? Who's just like talking all through this book. And I don't know. I, I came away not like loving the vibe because feel i don't i don't know i I'm, I'm having a hard time articulating why i just feel like she it's too hard to get in on the joke maybe or like it's too dry and subtle or something and mm. it's confusing people and if you're doing that are you really are you just like lying to people who have come to you for for what they think is going to be like an illuminating tour through this through this old text. I don't know. It's it's somewhere in there. Yeah, I'm on board. I like it. That's fine. You didn't read the book and yeah, get, that's and fine. Get clowned on by Carmen Maria Machado. So that's, yeah, you're I, welcome I, I to be, like it conceptually. I guess. I w- I guess like take us back three years ago. I would be interested to know if people went into reading her edition knowing that it was not all like kind of wacky i think maybe if you're more if you're more familiar with her whole vibe and her body of work and also if you're more familiar with carmilla and lafanu like maybe you don't get taken in as much and so maybe that's who all this all this stuff is for but in general i i'm just saying i i am here for the impulse to say yeah let me take this kind of understudied book that is pretty important from 150 years ago and just kind of put some stank on it like i guess i just think people buy an edition of a book like this because they want somebody smart to like walk them through it and then when but didn't she walk you through it but then and then when you are holding this person's hand and reading mm-hmm. and reading through the story and then you start to think oh, this, this tour is a little weird. And then you look yeah. over at her and she's like in your face. And then she pushes you over into yeah. like a pie or like something this. like that's not, I, I don't find that. This pleasant. is editing as performance art and I'm here for it. Mm. But now we just get to talk about the book. After now we, we just get break. to talk about the book and that's fine. And it's just, <laughs> it was just a thing that hit me weird. It's a thing I've never, ever run into in any other book. Yeah. No other book's editor has just been like, hey, idiot, I'm going <laughs> to lie to you real fast. Don't worry about it. I do think whether or not folks seek out uh, Carmilla, they should check out this Electric Lit interview. It's kind of neat. Um, well, and the and the if if you are reading along with us, it's possible that uh, knowing what you were getting into with the with the editor's note makes it funnier. Like if you know upfront that it's going to be goofing a little bit, maybe you can appreciate it as goof a little bit more probably instead of like mourning it as like missed educational opportunity, (laughs) which is what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. Not enough people uh, were doing more. People should have done Ted talks that were like not real. Is what I'm I mean, saying. I think plenty of people have done that, but you oh, mean well. like on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a break and you can tell me about this vampire. Sure. Craig, you know, one thing that's never told a fib to anybody or like spread any kind of misinformation about anything is websites if it's not if it's on a website um, it's on the internet it has to be true and uh, those are the those are the rules oh okay yeah i'll I'll trust you (laughs) yeah so if you want to make a perfectly true and accurate website i think you should do it with squarespace (laughs) i do think that's a true statement yes that's a true statement Uh, squarespace is a website that helps you make websites they give you beautiful drag and drop tools nice templates all kinds of cool stuff that you need to make nice looking websites without knowing anything about how to make websites going in. Mm. Um, Here's some things about Squarespace that we like other than that stuff. 
if you want to grow and engage your audience, Craig, you can do it with Squarespace email campaigns. Create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logo so your messaging is consistent and effective and 100% truthful. You can support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. Uh, gain powerful and also accurate and true insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website analytics tools. It gives you page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. And this is a fact. You own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform. They offer one-click data portability so you can pack up if a vampire moves into your castle and you can just leave. Yeah, they weren't invited into this website. I have to leave. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue. Save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And that's the truth. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Andrew, you ever get stuck focusing on the problems instead of the solutions? No, that's never happened to me. I'm very solutions oriented. (laughs) And I've never gotten hung up on anything that's ever happened to me. It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode when you're faced with a challenge in life. But when you learn how to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. A therapist can help you become a better problem-solver, making it easy to accomplish your goals no matter how big or small. Uh, I think therapy is a cool thing that people should try for like any reason. (laughs) Just... (laughs) To talk through what you're going through. Like if an editor of a book lied to you. Yeah. For some reason. And you you should go talk to somebody about it. Really excited to read a book. And then Mm -hmm. it was different than you expected. And now Mm -hmm. it's kind of, you're not sure how you're feeling about it. You might want to talk to someone. Mm -hmm. Um, And also things like related to stuff that might stress you out, like work or family or, you know, other needs that you might have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and it's entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists anytime. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash overdue today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash overdue. All right, there's a castle in Styria. Styria? Styria. Styria, Styria which, is, which is, it turns out, a really cheap place to live, which is great. A small income oh. in that part of the world goes a great way. Eight or nine hundred a year does wonders. Eight or nine hundred a year, what? I don't know. Uh, scantily, enough, ours would have, scantily enough, ours would have answered among wealthy people at home. My father is English and I bear an English name, although I never saw England. But here in this lonely and primitive place where everything is so marvelously cheap... I really don't see however so much more money would it all materially materially add to our comforts or even luxuries. So this is the first paragraph in the book is they live in Styria is a cheap place to live. It's a little lonely and it's a little dilapidated, but a little money goes a long way. Can, can you tell me who they is? Who's they? You said they live in Styria. Okay. We got, we got Laura who's like a 19 year old young woman. Okay. And her dad who, is like fine (laughs) and they and then a couple of like governesses and a bunch of servants who don't really get any names or character traits or anything they all live in this big old castle up in styria great and they just and they hang out and they're like several miles from the nearest inhabited village they're closer to an uninhabited village which is creepy and that used to be inhabited but it isn't anymore and uh that's that's their deal is they're just hanging out in Styria. (laughs) She doesn't get out a lot. She also doesn't get people like in a lot. So anytime she hears about any young woman around her age that she could conceivably be friends with, she gets really, really excited. about. I would too, to be honest. Uh, And so there's this like general that they're sort of acquainted with. And he has a niece who is as a daughter to him. Mm. And they have been there. They've been planning a visit for a while. They're going to come and stay at the castle. And uh, Laura's dad gets a note that is like, hey, my daughter died and we're not going to visit for now, but I'll visit later (laughs) after I take vengeance on on something. And he's very distressed and they read this letter and they're like, man, this guy, 
maybe seems like he's losing it with grief a little bit. Ooh, weird. Oh, God. Uh, so this happens, and then like immediately after that happens, here comes on, on stage gallops a big uh, carriage with a bunch of horses, and it's going really fast, and it hits like a tree root, and it topples over, and an older lady gets out of the carriage, and they pick up this like unconscious younger lady out of the carriage, and the older lady is like, oh, my daughter, oh, she's she's hurt but I really have to go do something else really, really bad. Do you know of a place where I could drop off my, my young woman daughter and Laura and her dad are like, wow, we were just expecting, we were just expecting company. I was really looking forward to it. I'm a young woman. She's a young woman. Maybe she should just stay here and convalesce and we could be best friends. This is all happening very. It, as my understanding, this is not a super long story, but it's this not is a very very quickly. It's not a very. It's not a long story. No. <laughs> okay. It's, I think the the prose maybe makes it feel a little bit longer than it well, is because it's a little. Uh, you know, it, it it's a product of a product of its time insofar as it is a little circuitous in like relaying the story. Sure, it's very vibesy. Like it's like trying to paint a picture of the gothicness, or yeah, I, I, I don't know that I'd describe it as vibesy, but yeah, it's it. You do spend a little bit of time establishing the place, you know, establishing the the people, establishing how lonely Laura is, which really primes her for some of the stuff that happens later. Is that her primary character trait at the what? top of the book? Lonely, a little, I think. Okay. Um, she's she's also, but she's also like scared because this is like like many of these like 19th century horror novels. This is framed as like this is an incredible true story that I'm telling to you, some like third party via letters, and then that third party is like publishing those letters and letting other people okay. in the world see it. Okay, great. Okay, so you've you've gotten the foreshadowing of like that. You won't believe what happened to me. Let me let me start. We're in Styria. We're in this castle. I love um, it. There's all this other stuff that happens. Okay. Um, yeah, I am now going to tell you something so strange that it will require all your faith in my veracity to believe my story. It is not only true, nevertheless, but truth of which I have been an eyewitness. So that, that, that's the kind of thing that gets repeated a few times. It's like, man, I'm about to tell you something so wild that you're not going to believe it, but you have to, cause it's true. It happened to me. Yeah. Okay. I love it when books always felt the need to do this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to imagine a Goosebumps book where, like, every single chapter break, the kid is like, "You are not, dear reader, you are not going to believe this, but this really happened to me, dude." Here in the 1990s, don't have a cow, man, but this is a real story. Cowabunga, dude! Don't eat my shorts when I tell you this incredibly true story that happened. To you know me. what I'm not going to say when this story's over? Psych! This this story <laughs> is not, real. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> Talk to the hand, and because this story is okay. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> um, yeah. There's okay, just so like this, little. This... There's little breadcrumbs. Like you who live in towns can have no idea how great an event the introduction of a new friend is in such a solitude as surrounded us. So yeah, Laura's Laura's hard up for companionship. But she's not like she's not like Belle from Beauty and the Beast, where she's also like the book girl or something. Like she's no, just a girl. No, no she's just, just a, living in. This she's place. just a young woman who wants other young women to talk to about young woman stuff. Okay, and it's not. It's you don't even get like suitor types in this book. Huh. Because there are just so few people around. Yeah, okay. Um, and yeah, her mom died a long time ago. And, and yeah, so it's just her and her dad. And she's lonely. And they're lonely. And they were going to have a friend come. But they weren't. And so they were primed for this mysterious, beautiful young woman who stumbles out of a carriage to stay with them indefinitely. So the, the older lady is like, all right, thanks for taking my daughter. I got to go. You'll hear from me soon. Uh, I'll, it'll be like three months. Okay, bye. And then they upright the carriage and they all leave as quickly as they can. <laughs> Perfect. 
so you, now you've got this uh, this beautiful young woman named Carmilla. She was slender and wonderfully graceful, except that her movements were languid, very languid. Indeed, there was nothing in her appearance to indicate an invalid. Her complexion was rich and brilliant. Her features were small and beautifully formed. Her eyes large, dark, and lustrous. Her hair was quite wonderful. I never saw hair so magnificently thick and long when it was down about her shoulders. I have often placed my hands under it and laughed with wonder at its weight. Uh, and it goes on to describe it. It's just like, this, this is a pretty lady. It's pretty lady, but she's you know she's also languid, and she you know <laughs> she doesn't have a lot of energy. She doesn't move oh. around a lot. She s- seems like she sleeps in a bunch, and she oh. gets up late, and she doesn't really care for like religious ceremonies. At oh, all. <laughs> it, mm. so Laura and Carmilla are hanging out. It's I think this is partly because of how the book is being presented, where. It just seems like there are so many red flags because Laura keeps being like, man, this was a totally normal and chill hang. And I had a great time with Carmilla, except for the time when she got really mad at me for trying to sing a hymn. And for the times when I kept trying to ask questions about her and where she came from and who she was that she didn't want to answer. <laughs> and Is times where she like, times am I the she, a-hole posts for singing a hymn <laughs> or something? <laughs> she, sure. <laughs> and, um, times where Carmilla seems really like physically into her and she, there's actually a, a little uh, passage where she's talking about one. She's like, she's wondering if it's like one of those books where a man dresses as a woman and like tries to come to like win a young woman's heart in disguise by spending a bunch of time with her because this Carmilla seems really into her in a way that sometimes makes her uncomfortable. Huh? Okay. Oh, and there's another big thing I forgot about is that uh, Laura says her first memory is when she was like six. She had this dream where like this beautiful woman came to her room and then like bit her on the on the chest. Whoa. And then she woke up and she was very scared. And then that she would sees be scary. and then she sees Carmilla and she's like, "Oh, it's the woman from my dream a bunch Ooh. of years ago." Ooh. And Carmilla's like, "Yeah, I uh, <laughs> dreamed about you too. This, what a coincidence! What a weird coincidence! Let's be best friends." <laughs> Okay. I think, I, as I recall from the Machado intro, there's some references to some of that dream stuff in the purported letters mm-hmm. that Machado said that this story was based on. They're not real letters. Sure. Uh, yeah, th- these are the three things that Laura manages to learn about Carmilla. First, her name was Carmilla. Second, her family was very ancient and noble. Third, her home lay in the direction of the West. End of list. <laughs> Direction of the West. Yeah. Interesting. She would she would not tell me the name of her family, nor their armorial bearings, nor the name of their estate, nor even that of the country they lived in. Well, so this is like classic social engineering, like identity theft kind of stuff that yeah. Laura needs to be more on the lookout for. It's like if, if Carmilla came to your house and asked you to get her a bunch of iTunes gift cards because there is a problem with your Amazon account. But like Carmilla's just buying one song at a time using your account, mm-hmm. like from like ten different artists, mm-hmm. just to make sure that the that your just to make sure that the cards work. Bank account. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she used to place her pretty arms about my neck, draw me to her, and laying her cheek to mine, murmur with lips near my ear, "Dearest, your little heart is wounded. Think me not cruel because I obey the irresistible law of my strength and weakness." Uh, and yeah, just a lot of you know lightly horny normal stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, so they are hanging out and they're getting a little closer and uh, Laura is feeling weird about it, but not, but, but there's a little bit of like, like irresistible attraction going on. Mm-hmm. It's not like explicitly magic, but they're, she and her dad both act a little charmed by Carmilla when she's around. So it's like, sure. it's clear that there's some kind of magnetism at work beyond just like the facts of this woman and who she is. And you, it, it, there are reasons why it seems like Laura sees all the red flags, but also doesn't really care about them that much. Sure. Yeah. Well, and that, that's a hallmark of that type of vampire, sexy vampire. And I, I don't mean that to like, belittle the trope it's a huge part of our culture Mm -hmm. but like that's a for some reason like that's a huge part of the sexy vampire thing is like oh i know that they're 
bad, but they're alluring, and part and the and the fact that they're bad makes them more alluring. Mm-hmm. And also, I want them to bite me on the neck. Yeah, <laughs> I had a dream about it. It's yeah. so strange. Uh, there's so just before things escalate, there's like this wandering, like merchant guy who it's like selling charms and stuff. And he comes up to the, the two women as they're taking a walk. And he is like, Hey, your noble friend, the young lady at your right has the sharpest tooth, long, thin pointed like an awl, like a needle. Ha ha. With my sharp and long sight. As I look up, I have seen it distinctly. Uh, now if it happens to hurt the young lady and I think it must here am I here in my file, my punch, my nippers, I will make it round and blunt. If her ladyship pleases no longer the tooth of a fish, but of a beautiful young lady as she is. It's like, hey, your friend has sharp teeth. Do you want me to like file those down a little bit? <laughs> that guy can shut up. Like, this is my friend and her teeth. Like, chill out, man. Mm, he's, I mean, he's got my, your nippers. Go away. He's got a, he's got a point. She's got you know, sharp teeth. But you don't like send that in a letter later. Like, don't just say it right then. I, tell, I bet this guy is not literate well, <laughs> based on his characterization. Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. That's, he doesn't need to read to learn how to use nippers, I suppose. <laughs> and then there's another little weird moment where they have all this. The, the, so you remember that abandoned village that I told you about? Do, boy, do I. The big like castle slash estate in that village belonged to the Karnsteins. And they were this old family. They sort of faded out of existence a while ago because of like some war or something like it's it's a laura's knowledge of it is pretty vague yeah Uh, but they have some art that is like from that region that they've had restored by this guy and including this painting uh that all they could see really was a was a name in the corner of it that said marcia karnstein and the date was 1698 and so they they get it cleaned and they see this painting and it's like oh wow this painting is of Carmilla exactly like down to the little like mole on her neck. Oh. And also the name's not Marcia. It's uh Mercala Countess Karnstein. Wait a second. Uh-huh. Uh and so they're like wow this is a so uh, I I think Laura says that I'm like related to the Karnsteins on my mom's side and Carmilla's like yeah me me <laughs> me too. That's so it's so funny and weird. Uh and it's and and it's so nice that you want this painting that looks like me to be hung in your room because we're just so close and so we're so friendly with each other. Ha 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 Does anyone in this world ever play the jumble? <laughs> I don't I think that they invented the jumble yet, which is too bad. I find a pressing need for someone to know how to play the jumble. <laughs> yeah, that, that need that you have is going to get worse. <laughs> So uh, Carmilla rashes it up another another notch. Uh, I've been in love with no one and never shall, she whispered, unless it should be with you. Uh, that night, uh, Laura has another weird dream where like, Carmilla is there briefly, but then there's like this monster there, and then she feels this like pain on her breast as though like she's been punctured by a couple of sharp things. And she wakes up. And she's very, and she's a little spooked, but also a little apathetic. And so just for the next couple of weeks, there's this thing happening where she's like losing her energy and her health and her vigor. And she's becoming languid and Carmilla's just like hanging around all the time. And her dad is like, man, this is, this is a lot like, like the people around here have been getting kind of sick in a way that reminds me of the way that you are getting sick. And Laura's like, I'm not sick. I'm just like thinking about dying and embracing it and not thinking it's a big deal. Don't worry about it. Oh, um, she doesn't say that to her dad. She is saying that to us. The, the, yeah, sure. uh, Sure. In her monologue. Um, and she's just being kind of visited by these, these nightmares, including there's, here's one that Machado likes. Um, after all these dreams, this is from the Machado edition. I've been reading from the Gutenberg one, but they're pretty similar overall. After all these dreams, there remained on waking a remembrance, a remembrance of having been in a place very nearly dark and of having spoken to people whom I could not see, and especially of one clear voice, a woman's very deep, spoke as if at a distance, producing always the same sensation of indescribable 
indescribable solemnity and fear. Sometimes there came a sensation as if a hand was drawn softly along my cheek and neck. Sometimes it was as if warm lips kissed me longer and longer and more lovingly as they reached my throat. And there the caress fixed itself. My heart beat faster. My breathing rose and fell rapidly. Then it then came a sobbing that rose into a sense of strangulation and turned into a dreadful convulsion in which my senses left me and I became unconscious. And Machado's footnote here says, if this isn't an orgasm, nothing is. Mm, I, yes, I heard about that one. That's funny. So, yeah, that's that. We're not talking. I, there's not like a subhead of this podcast where we're just going to talk about the like the gay subtext of it. It's just kind of woven throughout. Yeah. And it, it sounds like the like Machado's project here is to do the highlighting that it's in there and it's Mm -hmm. been in there from the original Mm -hmm. though there was i think was it i think it was a book riot like review of the machado edition that is just like it is by danica ellis um who's just like excited to have machado as the tour guide through this work um to highlight that rather than it be just this original work by this dude from 150 years ago so Mm -hmm. like you know that seems let alone the goofing that that and the the lie <laughs> that, <laughs> that that seems to be what machado's aim is with this edition but mm-hmm. you know it's there it's not like she's making she's not making that part of it up she's just no kinda, or you, you know she's not she's not making that part of it up i think her goal is to like if if a reader came upon the unfootnoted version and was like hey this is kind of gay right and machado's there to be like yes you're right it is pretty gay. yeah the um <laughs> the annabelle williams article from electric lit also talks about just vampires in general and i i've encountered some good articles about this as people have been reading through dracula daily uh that kind of tumblr or an email newsletter project um but she has this like great succinct what are vampires vampires are our fictional cipher for the outsider and represent the embodiment of our cultural fears of the unknown dracula a foreign aristocrat encroaching on british land and women represented a xenophobic reading of otherness carmilla however embodied the otherness of feminine desire and queerness and then she also goes on to talk about like you can think about how female vampires procreating without men is like might be kind of scary to people you know Mm -hmm. it's just kind of some interesting stuff there so sure but so okay so everyone's getting sick in this castle well so people in the surrounding countryside have been getting sick and now laura is also getting sick and so her dad like calls a doctor over and is like trying to get her diagnosed and she she's feeling pretty weak and then who should show up finally but the general slash baron guy who mm. wrote who's whose adoptive daughter died from a strange malady oh. as mentioned and so he is you know he he is full of grief but he is also full of of purpose and righteous anger because he's come to this area not not just to visit them but also to uh look around for you know some some monsters that he is encountered and he thinks live around these parts. And so he's relaying to them in more detail, the story of how his daughter died. And he's saying, man, I was at this ball, right? And at this point it gets a little like story within a story. Yeah. Okay. I was at the, I was at this ball, right? And I met this lady and she, she's like an older lady. She had, we all had masks on cause it was like a masquerade ball. And, but she knew a lot of stuff about me and I was trying to figure out if I knew who she was, but she was being very coy about it. And she had a daughter there and her daughter was getting chummy with my daughter. And because young women just want to be around other young women and be best friends by virtue of being young women who are in close proximity to each other. Um, her mother is like, listen, I got to go do something, but can my daughter Milarka stay with you? <laughs> for a while. Um, and so uh, Malarka goes to the general slash Baron's house and is staying with the daughter. And, but then the daughter starts to get sick and, and it's all Malarka's fault. This is a bunch of malarkey. And he's, and, she, and he's describing like exactly what is happening to Laura, including like right from the, you know, a mysterious stranger shows up. She had this like sort of wasting illness that took a while to, to, 
to to set in she had these like puncture wounds on on her doctors couldn't figure it out like it's, it's exactly what laura is going through to the point where even though laura and her dad were both kind of disinclined to believe this this weird story that this guy is telling they recognize that they finally recognize their own circumstances in it and start thinking man there's something a little weird about this carmilla lady and so they're in the abandoned village looking around for uh, the the tomb of Mercala, the Countess of Karnstein. <laughs> and they're trying to they're trying to find her. And Carmilla shows up and the Baron General guy sees her and like just runs at her to try and attack her. And she her face gets all mean and she grabs him with with like superhuman strength and stuns him and runs away. And so it's clear the the jig is up and I don't know. This is another subtle things. I don't know if you noticed. So the thing about the name, Malarca, Yeah. And Mercala and, and Carmilla is that they all have all the same letters in them. And so if you were trying to like come up with a fake name, maybe you (laughs) would just mix the letters in your name. Is this where Castlevania got it from? Got what you know from? how that guy's name is oh, Alucard? Alucard? Yeah, probably. Because I it's love because this. it's a rule. No, the I vamp- love, the, this is the, great. This is it's very silly and it's very great. The vamp the, there are a couple of like explainer things about vampires, and we can talk about which which rules this oh, follows yeah, and, and doesn't uh, when we get to the end. Uh, but yeah, the vampire is apparently subject in certain situations to special conditions. I guess you got a Eula when you become a vampire now. <laughs> In the particular instance of which I have given you a relation, Mercala seemed to be limited to a name which, if not her real one, should at least reproduce without the omission of or addition of a single letter, those, as we say, anagrammatically, which compose it. So, I don't know what happens to you if you're a vampire and you try to be like, yeah, my name's Debbie. Oh, wow. I don't know if you just, like, melt. Maybe you lose your powers or something. Or you just, like, physically can't say it or like you lose your the spell binding quality that you have over people but like you gotta what mix. a cool so what? i'm sure i'm sure carmilla has like written halfway up her arm just all the different combinations <laughs> of letters that she could use like man if i use this one around here lately no okay i'm gonna go with this one i love i'm Mil- that. i'm, Mil- I'm milarka and this is my real regular normal human name hi i'm lilac ram like what's going on <laughs> dang that rules what a cool what a, i hadn't what yeah Come on. we're finding out all kinds of stuff about castlevania yeah but so are there any other or, or do you want to wrap it up or do you want to vamp- do vampire um, rules? So the, they, um, they find with the help of some old groundskeeper, the grave of, um, Mercala, Countess of Karnstein. And they open it up like during the day, a time when Carmilla, like she locks a room all the time when mm. she's hanging out at the, the castle. And so people like just assume that she's in here, but it becomes clear that she's not always in there. So she's sleeping in this coffin. They open it up. And she is like sleeping, but she's definitely not dead. And also she's like up to her, like she's, she's just like laying in like six inches of blood. Whoa. Uh, so they drive a stake through her heart and she screams and then she dies. And then the vampires, the vampire's been taken care of. So hooray. Good job. Vampire dead. Is that the end of the um, story? Yeah, that's the end of the story. We, so we talk about, um, we talked about the, the name thing. Uh, one, this is all sort of like epilogue kind of explainery stuff that's all shoved in at the end. One sign of the vampire is the power of the hand, the slender hand of Mercala, closed like vice, a vice of steel on the general's wrist when he raised the hatchet to strike, but its power is not confined to its grasp. It leaves a numbness in the limb it seizes, which is slowly, if ever, recovered from. Um, and then there's one more about how vampires get made which is not it's not strictly like a you get bit you become a vampire no situation i'm familiar with the uh the bite and bite back system yeah this one says um a suicide under certain circumstances becomes a vampire that specter visits living people in their slumbers they die and almost invariably in the grave develop into vampires so you don't 
it's not like a you you bite them and then they instantly become a vampire sort of thing. It's like you bite them and you suck the blood out of them till they die, and then after they're dead, they can come back as vampires. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any sort of like inviting or river crossing or can't? Gar- not garlic? not directly. I mean. Carmilla is invited into the house and she does have to cross over their moat that they have, but it's not like, it's never a, you know, Carmilla stood in in the threshold for a long time until one of us said, Hey, you can come in. Like that's not, that's not part of this. (laughs) There's no aversion to garlic. I think that's definitely a stoker thing. It doesn't seem like she can't go out in the sunlight. She just like generally doesn't like to go out a lot. Does she, that's what I read. I read it that she's like stronger at night and she doesn't like the day. Does she turn into anything? She kind of, sort of, arguably turns into like a big black monster, like maybe cat like, yeah. maybe not. Okay. Yeah. Um, but not like explicitly batty, even though the cover of the Machado edition is covered in a bunch of bats. <laughs> cool, cool. Because I, I had forgotten that Dracula can turn into a dog <laughs> until I was reading Dracula Daily. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there's no sparkling. No, unfortunately. Uh, that happens with with modern vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no, but but the the avert. She doesn't seem to be hurt by religion or hymns or like crosses she or whatever, like but it. she sure don't like them. Okay, which is how I feel about. Did you know that I have fall allergies? I think I've talked about this on TV already. <laughs> I have fall allergies now since we moved to the new neighborhood with more plants. Yeah. So it's like allergies. Like I don't, they don't, yeah. they're not going to, they're not going to kill me, but I don't want them. I don't yeah, like sure. them. Sure. 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 Well, it sounds like you had a fun read. It was a fun read. And it was a, it was a book that was interesting to read twice, mm. even though, you know, as discussed, I, I have my qualms about Machado's <laughs> methods, <laughs> but in the end we figured it out. Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm glad that we did not spread a bunch of misinformation for 15 minutes at the top of our podcast, and then somebody in Discord at like 6:03 a.m. after the episode post be be's like, "Hey, this wasn't real, idiots." I love our Discord community. So our Discord community is really good, and but- they are very good at being like, "No, listen, bud, I listened to this two times already, and just to make sure that you are as dumb as you were," mm-hmm. <laughs> and they say it with love, and mm-hmm. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all right. I'm glad to have met uh, one of, if not the first, vampire committed to uh, paper. You mean Mircala or uh, Carmela? Well, or interesting. I hadn't or thought about that. Acclamir. <laughs> Layer clam. <laughs> Real. Real. Realamac. Yeah, Realamac. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a spice that I would that might taste good. Mm-hmm. Like a relative of sumac. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for telling me about this vampire book, Andrew. You're welcome. It's, uh, I'm so happy to be back in Spooktober. Yeah, it's so nice to be here. Um, mm-hmm. If you, the listener, um, have any wild and wacky tales that you just you know need us to believe or if you've got like a roommate who is giving you the heebies and you are slowly losing energy and just kind of thinking that you might be dying but it might not be such a big deal yeah send us an email about it Mm -hmm. we'd love to to stay in touch uh overduepod at gmail.com hit us up on facebook and twitter at overduepod uh thanks to nick larandis who composed our theme music Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overboo podcast. Well, Actually, it's overduepodcast.com. I don't want right. to, again, I don't want to be telling a joke and make people believe information yeah. that isn't true. <laughs> uh, overduepodcast.com is the internet website. We have links to the books that we have read and the ones we are going to read. Craig will tell you about those in a second. Yep. We also have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash overduepod. Um, subscribe, get access to the Discord, get access to bonus episodes early. Um, I guess like while we're talking about show stuff, um, a baby is going to arrive soon. Yeah. It's going to affect one of our lives very much. And the other yep. one, like probably less, but like still a little. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we have been and continue to be frantically like stockpiling episodes so that the, so that the content still flows. Yeah. Um, but depending on exactly when that happens, 
the schedule, you know, schedule may change a little bit. We may have a f- few more like guest episodes than we normally do or like lighter, uh, not explicitly like book related episodes than we normally do. We, we just want, we want to keep doing stuff, but you know, it's, it might not be totally in our control <laughs> for a little while up here. Uh, so yeah, just, just keep an eye out and we'll communicate with you as we find things out. Yeah. Well, and thanks to everyone listening and, and also especially our, to our patrons who make the show possible uh, to fit into our lives no matter what may come. Um, so let's talk about what's going to fit into our lives in the next few weeks. Uh, we just read Carmilla's the first book of Spooktober. Next week, we're going to talk about The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. It's the novella that inspired the first Hellraiser movie. Then I believe we're talking about Undead Girl Gang by Lily Anderson. Followed by A Certain Hunger with our friends Christina and Camille. I'm going to look up the author, Chelsea Summers, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then The Awakening, the first Vampire Diaries book by L.J. Smith with Natasha from Unspoiled. We also have plans to do some short stories by W.W. Jacobs, Lady of the Barge. That's the monkey paw guy. Uh, And yeah, we're still, we are wrapping up Goosebumps. by the time that you're listening to this, the most recent Goosebumps. That's the vampire name for Goosebumps, <laughs> is when you mix up the letters, you get um, Goosebumps. The most recent one of those, the combo episode, kind of um, should be up on the main feed. There'll be at least one more of those on the main feed. But if you really want to get them early and you know you do, head to patreon.com slash overdupod. That's all I got, Andrew. I'm going to raise some hell next episode. Sounds sounds cool. All right. I hope that the editor of your book is kinder to you than the editor of mine. Was. We'll find out. And until we talk to you next time, everybody, stay spooky and try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.